Hi everybody, it's your host Jamie here. This week you might notice that the audio quality of our show is not up to its usual five-star par. And the reason for that is that uh, we are currently sheltering in place due to the COVID-19 virus. And Jack is unable to join us in the studio, but we have him coming through on Google Hangouts and joining us after watching the movie. So you might notice a slight difference in our usual audio quality, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't let this interfere with our ability to entertain you. And we hope that you'll forgive this minor inconvenience for the chance to be entertained and elucidated. So enjoy the show. Hey, Jamie, you know a lot about Vikings, right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we got some questions for you. Yeah, like, did the Vikings use claymores or maces that were a man's head inside of a spiky cage? No, they did not. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, were Vikings typically pacifist vegans? I kind of doubt it. Oh, right, right. Okay, but what about any warrior queens in Viking history? Well, now that you mention it... satirists and welcome to swords and satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mulkel here with my viking co-hosts i'm jack olander a viking warrior cursed because i was born without my mother present (laughs) (laughs) i can't get over jamie's smooth jazz intro voice is it bad? <laughs> I'm trying not to yell into the no, mic. No, I get it. <laughs> it's okay. We'll keep it. I'm trying to keep up the Viking energy. It's okay. <laughs> that smooth Viking. <laughs> Hello, oh, listeners. Yeah. How y'all? Yeah. Mmm. <laughs> Hi, Sadness. <laughs> You've been thinking about us. We've been thinking about you. <laughs> okay. And I'm Chelsea here, a wandering traveler with no real goals in life. Well, that sounds kind of nice. Yeah, it seems pretty peaceful. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this week we watched Viking Destiny. (laughs) Sorry. I'll do that again. You still sound like... (laughs) This week. You're trying to turn it into a sexy, smooth jazz. Should I do the whole episode this way? (laughs) Yeah, just keep it. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that. Well, this week we watched Viking Destiny, directed by David L.G. Hughes, starring Anna Demetro, T. 
Terrence Stamp, Murray MacArthur, Will Mellor, Paul Freeman, and Ian Betty. But before we get into our discussion about the film, I think Chelsea's ready to give us a quick synopsis. Okay, here's a summary for you for Viking Destiny. My favorite type of destiny. Yeah, we have a Viking princess, right? Her name's Hela. Oh, she's hella cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she is. She's basically brave as a grown-up woman of 21 years. Brave as in the film Brave. Yeah. You know, the main character from that movie, Brave, whose name is probably also Brave, right? I don't remember. She's the daughter of Asmund of the kingdom of Volsung, a Viking kingdom. Good place to have a Viking destiny. They are favored by Odin. It's kind of unclear why. He kind of always liked Hela's mother. Maybe they got it on. Maybe uh, Hela's a little bit Odin, if you know what I mean. Odin, yeah. Odin freaky. So the big idea of the movie, right, is that you will be cursed if you are born with your father being absent. And so Hela grows up believing that she is cursed, and she grows up with her uncle bard acting as her father in a convoluted scheme to make it seem like bard's son prince hakan is really asmund's son and they do a little switcheroo of the two kids and uh they grow up believing that one is the heir and hella grows up believing that she's just a cast off curse poor hella i feel bad for her But Odin ain't having that. He keeps appearing to Hela, telling her that she's destined for greatness. A Viking destination. (laughs) Yes. Roll credits. So, Bard schemes one night to get rid of Hela and Hakon so he can take the throne for himself. And he sends them off to go on an epic quest in a cave to kill... The Kraken. Yeah. They really release that Kraken that doesn't actually appear in this film. Yeah. King Asmund has a prophetic dream that Hela is in danger and goes to save her. Father senses tingling. Yes. And takes care of the assassin that was sent in to kill the two heirs-to-be. But then the other mercenaries come in (laughs) and take care of that king with an axe to the head. That's a classic way to finish off a king. Prince Hakon buys Hela some time to escape, sacrificing himself. She He probably buys her about half a second, maybe two seconds, like absolute tops. Yep. Hela finds her way into the forest, eats some magic mushrooms, and then finds a group of traveling, nomadic, egalitarian pacifists. <laughs> In Scandinavia? Oh, and they're vegans too. <laughs> And um, they vow to take her in as one of their own. But then when Bard and his men find her, all changes around again. And the travelers vow to sacrifice their pacifist ways to fight for for her honor. To I, be the queen. <laughs> I know that if I had to fight off my evil uncle who is trying to kill me with his army of mercenaries, I'd want a team of former pacifist vegans fighting for me. <laughs> So then her old mentor and trainer, Lord Solney, oh. finds her with his men in a moment of Deus S. Viking. And um, they all vow to fight for her, and Odin gives her the go-ahead. 
Then there's an epic battle ensues, and she chases Bard when he's trying to run away, and his big henchman dude, and she has a one-on-one fight with each of them, and eventually puts her own uncle's head in that weird mace cage weapon (laughs) like you do yeah and she strikes his lieutenant down dead with it saving uh saving lord sony exactly and everyone vows to follow her as their queen and they live happily ever after except for when loki wants to come and fuck with all of them the end (laughs) wait did you mention loki at all up to this point nope he's a trickster you never see him coming except for the fact that we see him all throughout the movie Shh. Oh. Wait, are you saying you guys didn't see Loki? Who? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I don't know about this. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we have that covered, I think it's time to head into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Viking Destiny. So there's some lore to go over here, guys. Is it Viking lore? It's some kind of lore. Yeah. Some kind of lore is better than no kind of lore. Yeah. The movie would certainly have us believe it's Viking lore. Fair. <laughs> so one that they repeated four or five times throughout the movie... <laughs> is that a child will be cursed if it is born without its father present. They repeat that about four times throughout. A scathing indictment of the Viking medical system. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what kicks off the entire movie. The main character, Hela's mother, dies in childbirth. I mean, it kind of bookends the movie, right? Because it's like one of the first lines we hear and then one of the last lines we hear. Or the last line we hear. Unless you count that uh, New Age outro song that rolls during the credits. Right. And some of the other lore is that Odin kind of likes to talk to the Viking kings and queens. He kind of comes down and and counsels them. Oh, you're saying that old two-eyed man was Odin? Yep. Oh, okay. Interesting artistic take, but I guess I'll accept it. Yeah, I guess they couldn't afford a single eye patch. Yeah, they manage it in other movies, but not this one. They spent too much money on that head cage mace thing. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. You gotta, like, really prioritize your budget when you're doing a film like this. Yeah, and then as part of the uh, lore of this world or what is possible in this setting, Loki can be seen whispering in people's ears kind of egging them on, instilling them with confidence to perpetuate some of their darkest desires. That that part I thought was actually pretty interesting. I like, first off, the actor who played Loki, uh, Murray MacArthur, real pro. Great look, got the, got the long beard. Not the direction I would have gone for Loki. Usually I, I feel like Loki's portrayed as kind of a uh, kind of youthful, trickstery type fellow, but this... This Loki was more of a, like, grizzled, like, uh, kind of, like, warrior-looking Loki. And I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was neat how he had this, like, black pitch on his forehead with all these golden hues to it. 
Yeah, the look was really cool. Yeah, and it was a really neat idea how he kept whispering these dark desires to people or dark thoughts. Yeah, the movie really, like, wears its themes right on its sleeve. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are some of the, like, biggest pieces of lore. There's not a lot of meat there, except... Some because of, the- of all the vegans <clears throat> in this movie. There's not a lot <laughs> yeah. of meat there. But um, some of the messaging around pacifism was interesting because... The travelers, as I mentioned, were an egalitarian pacifist people that only ate uh, plants. But they were, in one sense, portrayed as living an idyllic and happy life that was seemed kind of carefree. And But then at the end, when <laughs> the story needed Hela to have more of a fighting army, suddenly they were willing to just cast off their ideals to fight and kill for her when before they seemed pretty adamant against those things. Yeah, they basically go from like, oh, we believe in peace and love and like being okay with everything to actually we want to murder some fucking mercenaries and help you become the warrior queen like real quick. It kind of gives, kind of presents the message that pacifism is temporary as long as you can live that way but then ultimately you're gonna need to fight for what you believe in yeah the messaging of this movie is um, a little concerning because like earlier in the movie too we're introduced to king i'm sorry to prince hakon who says oh i'm you know physically weak and not very brave but I'm smart, so I know that I shouldn't be in charge of our kingdom. It should be you, Hela, the warrior who can kill a bunch of people. You've got all the qualities of leadership we need. I know. He didn't think, like, I will change what we see as valuable in a leader, and I will show people there's another way. He's like, I'm inadequate. We should get a warrior up in here. Yeah, we don't want smart people to be in charge of anything. I think this movie is a scathing indictment of our political system. Maybe. Also, when the travelers agree to help Hela, she just tells them, yeah, you guys like to travel around. You're a nomadic people, but that's just kind of sad because you don't have a home. So I'll, I'll agree to give you my home in Volsung and you could come live with me. And she says that their way of life isn't right. <laughs> Ouch. And, um... I was just shocked by that because they seemed to kind of agree with her and they were like, yeah, we'll come live with you. It's just like, okay. So they actually didn't have any strong convictions at all. No, I mean, they're weak and sad. I mean, they're they're not even warriors. What is even their point? <laughs> yeah, so um, there's not a lot of lore there, but... What we did get was interesting with the gods who speak to people in different ways. Well, I mean, but let's go back to this idea that children born with absent fathers are cursed. Like, what's the deal? What what is what should we infer from that constantly repeated message throughout this film? It seemed like, at least from what I could tell, if you're born without your father present, Loki notices and is just like, ooh, I'm going to mess with that person. Yeah. Yeah, possibly, but then again, it seemed like Hela, who was born without her father present, first off, I mean, she might be cursed insofar as just the the circumstances around her tend to be less than uh, beneficial to her, 
But, I mean, she's a great warrior, and Odin seems to have favored her regardless of this. I mean, Loki does come to her in one scene, but she's basically able to resist his magic mushroom powers and just completely disregard anything he says. And Odin seems to favor her pretty strongly. Ooh, I have I have some ideas on that. Actually. All right, let's hear them. Well, because when the traveling people mention, when they see Hela speaking to Odin... The travelers can't see Odin there, so it just looks like she's not speaking to anyone. And one of the travelers is like, what the heck is she doing? She's not talking to anybody. But then one guy, the older traveler who knows what's up, he's like, oh yeah, the gods speak to people who are, you know, the descendants of kings, royal blood. Right. The gods speak to them. And so I think that whether or not she was cursed, she'd probably be speaking with Odin. And... I think that Loki probably would not have been involved, but because she was cursed, that's when Loki kind of got involved. And we saw Loki get involved directly the one time when he was trying to convince her to stab herself. Right. But he was also there to affect her when Loki was kind of whispering, you know, usurper thoughts to the uncle. Right. And he was there at the very end where he was whispering rebellious thoughts to a, a jealous woman. Yeah. Or rather a defensive woman. So it seems like a lot of the plans Loki is putting in place are meant to mess with Hela. Yeah, he does seem like particularly obsessed with her for some reason. I guess that is like the notice of a child born without their father present. Yeah. I mean, Loki is kind of, in the beginning, said to be the god of mischief and mayhem, right? Yes. And that kind of tracks with mythology, but that is kind of a way of saying that he's a god of bad luck in this movie. Yeah. That's the way it kind of unfolds. <laughs> we also get this, like, very strong patriarchal messaging about, yes. like, the need for having a strong male authority figure present at your birth to legitimize your existence to some extent. Well, also, like, they would have a protective force that w would, like, ensure good luck or something. But it is a very patriarchal point of view. Yeah, it's true. And I was thinking about that as well. I was thinking, you know, it could just be, like, folklore that it's bad luck to be born without a father present. Yeah. Because... Perhaps it only pertains to people of royal blood. Because okay. they're known to talk to gods. And if what I'm saying is right, where Loki is the downside of being born without your father present, you know, that is he's a god, and it affected a royal. So maybe that only kind of applies to people of royal blood. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also, I think this movie is a... Um has some bad messaging about, I mean, besides egalitarianism and pacifism, it has some bad um, messaging about democratically elected leadership because the travelers are real quick to not only throw away their pacifistic values, but to throw away their lifestyle where they don't have a hierarchy. It seems like they're naturally inclined to say, okay, well, now that this hippie mumbo jumbo is done, like, we're going to actually start bowing down to this queen because that's like the natural order of things yeah at the end they basically say that is the right way to live yeah like, 
And they reinforce the misguided view of cultural evolution that right. societies will, this is like an old anthropological concept that societies would evolve through these different stages that ended in civilization that was strangely very similar to the civilization of the anthropologists who were writing um, those texts from America and, and uh, Europe. I wonder why they thought that was the height of cultural evolution. Hmm, yeah, very convenient. Yeah. But guys, since we're on that topic, why don't we talk about class struggle? Oh, that sounds perfect. So we we get we have this is another one of those movies that has a very subtle class critique that you have to kind of read into. I'd say it takes more of the Lion King approach to representing class because once Bard becomes the king, we just kind of have to infer He's got this tyrannical rule. He's having blacksmiths building head cages to turn into maces. Perfectly good use of taxpayer money, I'm sure. Now, while this is going on, we can tell that the kingdom is actually going into pretty massive decline because of some of the things people say. Yeah, um, his henchmen are talking about how they're running out of food and they're not barbaric. They're not going to eat their horses. They'll just eat old, infirm women. Yeah, seems like a perfectly reasonable protein supplement, right? <clears throat> right. Especially the brains. Nothing ever bad happens from eating a human brain. That's right. If there's one thing I've learned from anthropology, it's that anthropophagy is always healthful. And this idea goes along with like the theme that they tie along with the villains and antagonists of the movie, that they all perpetuate this idea that females are inferior and expendable. And so they have some very blatant, outlandish lines in the movie so that to make sure that the audience knows, hey, these guys are super evil, you know. And, um, you know, to let you know that they're the bad guys. <laughs> it's nice that they kind of wear their uh, affiliations on their sleeves so we don't have to have anything, like, pesky and subtle or any kind of, like, nuance to the characterization. Yeah, it, it's very wooden and flat. <laughs> But, um, yeah, they keep perpetuating the idea that there can't be a queen, that women can't rule, that they're weak. Hey, I disagree. Women rule. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that they're weak and that they're less valuable even than horses, so. And yet, Hela is the coolest character in this movie. Yeah. What's up with that? What does that mean? What is this movie trying to say? It isn't trying, you're not meant to identify with any of those parts of the theme of females being inferior. They, they very clearly have only villains and antagonists stating lines like that. And Hela, While they twirl their mustaches. Exactly. Hella um, lives in defiance of all of those ideas. Her very being is um, rebellion to that way of thinking. She's a rebel. She rebels. Thank you. And at one point she says, only the gods can stop me. Um, and I think she's right because she says that while she's murdering her uncle. Oh, yeah. Well, so, for instance, like other characters are more egalitarian like of course it makes sense that the old man who's like the elder of the travelers tries to counsel hella and tell her that she will not find strength from a man her strength will come from within it's a good message i think yeah. that there, i think self-empowerment is a great message for a film like this yeah 
And um, the men that are willing to follow her feel like she's the rightful heir and they're loyal to her and they want her to be their next queen. They don't care that she's female. They, they respect her. So all of the messaging around this theme that is negative is solidly placed within the villains. But some of the lines like we were talking about with eating the women are pretty out there and um, they could have probably found a more subtle way to handle that. <laughs> I feel like they have the appropriate amount of subtlety. <laughs> I, I have to give props to a movie that wears its uh, themes on its sleeve like this. And actually there's a, there's a fun line because the, the line that you said that Helle talks about uh, or the line that you mentioned that Hela says about how no man will defeat her at the end of the movie, we see Loki whispering in the ears of dun, 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 a woman who is going to challenge Hela for her title because she thinks that, uh, I'm sorry, because she knows that Hela has been sleeping with her man, cheating with her husband. Um, Indeed, all of the above. <laughs> Um, but this does go along with your theme of class struggle because under Bard's tyrannical rule, classes are kind of not only delineated through other forms of wealth and social class, but also on the basis of sex. Right. So women in under his rule are second-class citizens and don't even rate as high as horses. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, it's difficult to get a clear message from this film because it has moments like that where we see, like, Bard is a real bastard, obviously. He doesn't respect his own people. He clearly sees women as inferior because, I mean, that is the whole basis of the beginning of this movie. He tells his brother Asmund, the king, that, you know, oh, the people will know that you that your child was born without you present, so that's a curse. If they find out that your heir is going to be a female, nobody's going to respect you. They're going to see you as weak. But we can see that the people of Volsung would be perfectly happy following Hele. So Bard is just full of shit, but he's got Loki in his ear whispering these curses. We didn't mention that uh, just like every other um, Disney princess... Hela's mother dies during childbirth, so yeah. she's not present for the entire movie. Um, but yeah, there's this, it's kind of like, it seems to me like the whole movie is based on this intentionally false premise that Hele would not be able to uh, be a respected leader, which clearly she would be. She's a great warrior, which is apparently what the people of this place need. But at the same time, the movie is also incredibly critical of uh, flatter power hierarchies but you know i mean to some extent the vikings in the middle ages had a more democratic social structure than many other cultures at the time in the form of the altang which was the council where people would come and argue the law and settle disputes and kind of come to agreements about how to move forward year by year and how to allocate funds and resources and stuff as a group so the Vikings were actually not so much of a socially stratified society in a, in a lot of times, especially at this point uh, in the pre-Christian era that this movie seems to represent. I picked up, you know, 
the little clues from the fact that, say, King Asmund wears a Thor's hammer, which would have been probably much less likely in the Christian era. So I'm assuming that this is taking place sometime before, uh, you know, sometime around the, the 10th century or prior when the Viking lands were still pagan. Right. Which would have been the more democratic period of the time, too. Right. Of the, um, the more democratic period of the culture. Mm-hmm. Another thing I liked about kind of the way they treated Hela as a woman was they didn't really consider that, at least the good guys didn't really consider that when deciding that she should be in charge. They weren't like trying to make some movement of like, yeah, women need more equality. They were just like, Hela is super skilled as a warrior. Yeah. And her bravery is like unmatched. She's yeah. got she's got the qualities we look for in leadership. Not smarts. It's true. Forget about that. Forget about that. She's determined. Also, her teacher saw at a young age who is the friend of her dad's, and I guess he did he know? He yes. Knew, yes. He knew yeah. that he knew that Hela was actually the king's daughter. Yeah. So he was there supporting her the whole time. I think that was really nice because even though the king had his doubts when his brother told him, like, oh, she can't be in charge. She's not a real heir. The friend who's the soldier, her her trainer. Lord Sona. Yeah, he still had faith that she'd be, like, a talented warrior, so he trained her. I thought that was really cool. Nice. Yeah, they treat her more like a person rather than a woman, and I think that's that was a cool thing. <laughs> you want to rephrase that, maybe? <laughs> Well, they see her as a woman and a person rather than just a woman. Right. Yeah, the way it should. Yeah. A person. <laughs> of course. They don't see gender. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they... the good guys don't quite as much. They do, but it doesn't stop her from being an authority figure. Right. Right. They see bravery and strength, you know, the qualities that they care about. The ability to murder a man with a sword and to cut your dick off. Yeah, exactly. Important things. Yeah, stuff that matters. Oh, also, I thought it was cool that Odin was the narrator of the movie. That is fitting. It kind of implies he has some greater knowledge and, um, like, maybe not omniscient, but something close to it. Well, I mean, if it's Odin, then he would have omniscience. because I he, guess so. He knows everything that is going to happen. He just can't always do anything to stop it. Like Ragnarok. But he, he knows that there's an audience and that he's telling this story to somebody. I mean, <laughs> Odin is one of the great historical meta-narrators. Yeah, so that was cool. And then um, it kind of seemed to me that the whole idea of this curse was just to have an easy scapegoat that um, people could blame everything on because... Um, Hela was often blamed for things that would have been out of anybody's control, like the death of her mother when she was being born, and, um, like, other things that would go wrong in the kingdom, and, like, in other people's lives for their bad luck. <laughs> right. And then she was also blamed for the actions of others. Like, she was an easy person to target uh, because everybody believed she was cursed. Yeah, well, her uncle, who raised her as her father, always called her my curse, you know, his curse, implying that, you know, she was supposed to be, uh, she was supposed to represent 
a cursed person because she was born without her father present. And then her uncle who raised her kind of revamped that and kind of made everything about him, which was kind of his whole deal. He was kind of a selfish dude like that. Yeah. Kind of everything was about him because he wanted to be the king. Right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. About that, right, was I was kind of surprised at the very beginning when the king sees that he had a daughter and the brothers is knowing that he had a son and that he's like let's trade no trade backs though (laughs) i really expected or like i would have thought it maybe a little more practical if he was like oh so is my son the heir then because if he's thinking a bit more of like a patriarchal that's clearly a bit more of the brother's ideologies like my son perhaps next king or even if he was so bold in that room, I really expected him to be like, oh, well, since you don't have an heir, maybe, and I have an heir, maybe we do a little switcheroo with ourselves. I'm king, and you're the brother. Yeah. That's kind of what I expected, actually. Usually with royal lineages, it does really require the, like, direct parent-to-child uh, transfer of power. There was a line where... King Asmund really, like, shit on his brother Bard because he was trying to teach his quote-unquote son, who was actually his nephew, to be a warrior. And Hakon's just a terrible warrior. Like, he says it himself. He's smart. He doesn't have the qualities of leadership, like bravery and strength. Um, and Asmund says to Bard, oh, he's, he's very weak and pathetic. I think it's probably something that runs in his blood. Yeah. Just shitting on his brother and, you know, the qualities that they do not respect in this particular culture. Right. Yeah, I thought he was being kind of savage to his brother quite suddenly in that scene, actually. It felt kind of like it came almost out of nowhere. But I suppose the motivation could be when he saw his daughter niece uh, (laughs) cleaning the house and he was like, oh. That's a slave's job. My brother sucks. He's making my daughter do slave work. I'm gonna roast him publicly. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. It was right after that scene, so... And and then he saw what a capable warrior his daughter was, which is something, as we've mentioned, that he values more. So he really felt burned after that. Yeah, he felt like he got a bum trade. That's for sure. This movie has very mixed messaging. <laughs> I'm not okay with some of it, but... I know. And that uh, Jack brought up a good point. Like, the division of labor kind of ties into the class struggle theme, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they have to really, like, drive home the fact that if you haven't, like, picked it up by now, the lying sociopath asshole who, like, tries to trick his brother and shits talks... And shit talks women and the disadvantage is the bad guy. Yeah. So maybe I'm kind of okay with the fact that this movie really, like, lets you know what it's saying in no ambiguous terms. But this seems like a perfect segue to evil, stupid, or misunderstood. This is evil, stupid, or misunderstood. 
the part of the podcast where we take a look at the antagonist of the film and determine if they were stupid or misunderstood or maybe just flat out evil. So guys, King Bard, the king's brother, who steals the kingship, evil, stupid, or misunderstood? I mean, his coding is straight up evil Mm -hmm. for the most part. But who knows how long Loki has been whispering in his ear. Ooh, a, a lukewarm defense of Bard. Yeah, I think that he's beyond defense by the time we see him in the movie. He might be in his, like, 40s or something like that. Um, uh, I mean, he looked like, for the era that they're representing, a man at the, you know, ripe old age of 25. <laughs> yeah. So by the point we see him, he is very evil, but it is clear that the way he responds to Loki, it looks like he's has a comfortable old friend speaking to him in his mind. And um, I Oh, really, well, that sounds nice. I get the impression that Loki has been speaking these dark thoughts to him for many years. So he looked, he didn't look well either. He looked haunted. Hmm, interesting. He looked Great like, use of that word. Yeah, well yeah. He, he looked like somebody who was suffering from uh, mental health issues. And he talked about being lonely also in one scene. That's too bad. He had a great daughter who, you know, if he had treated her well, he probably wouldn't have been so lonely. He would have had, like, a friend. Yeah. Yeah. So he always seemed to feel like he was destined for greatness and tried to design his own destiny. But he was not favored by the gods and he was toyed with his whole life. And it turned sour and toxic. Yeah, I mean, Loki flat out admits that he's been fucking with him because he says to Loki, like, when he's facing off against Hela, oh, like, you promised that I would rule the kingdom. And Loki just says, yes, but for how long? Yeah. And then he gets totally murdered by Hela. (laughs) And Loki just kind of laughs as he disappears. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, to some degree, I think Bard is something of a tool in the machinations of a much larger power it definitely seems like it but it seems also like you kind of have to have like a little spark of evil in you somewhere to um to kind of be susceptible to loki's message because hell is able to resist him yes she does resist it Uh, you were just making me think that and he he gives into it every single time it's like He doesn't know where his own thoughts begin and Loki's whisperings start. Yeah, I mean, if you already like what Loki's selling, you're not going to have a problem buying. So I think there is a part... Loki speaks to the darkness within people. Right. And so I think that Bard has let that nurture and flower, and that's, like, almost all that he is. Yeah, I agree. I think that that is... big part of it yeah in the beginning didn't it show bard fighting alongside his brother on the beaches in battle i'm pretty sure it did which makes me think that he had sort of a stronger camaraderie with the king before hella's cursed birth it could be there was a lot of bearded long-haired men in filthy armor so like i could see how maybe it was him and maybe it wasn't yeah for sure i guess we can't say but yeah if loki only started talking to him after hella's birth then 
I could see an argument for misunderstood because yeah, Loki's the ultimate god of like mayhem, and it's kind of hard to oppose a god. Hela can do it, but I mean, she kind of has Odin riding along with her right. as well, so she kind of has a bit of an unfair advantage, you know. When you put your faith in Odin, life just flies on by <laughs> until you get yeah. killed in some ironic way. <laughs> See, I'm now I'm of the opinion that. Bard had been getting messages from Loki all along because the very contrived child swap scheme seems like it's right up the alley of the trickster god. Yeah. Totally. Now, I'd also like to add that I'm pretty sure that Bard is stupid because his plans just aren't good for his rule. Like, he has the blacksmith make this decapitation chain mace but then he kills the blacksmith. It's like, dude, we're in like a medieval society. The blacksmith is one of your most important pieces of infrastructure in the entire village. What are you going to do without your blacksmith? Killing him was terrible. And then we know that his rule is so shitty that the town is starting to starve and people are miserable. I mean, you're just asking for an uprising at that point. Yeah. And it's not like you have a castle. Like, your neighbors could just come over and, and band together and just murder you because you don't have any kind of defensive fortifications or anything like that. So pretty stupid if you ask me. Yeah, that's a good point. He kind of is clever, but in terms of long-term plans and actually ruling, he's kind of stupid about that. Yeah. And I'm just saying, when Bard saw Loki appear out of mist, if he didn't realize that this guy was bad news. That's pretty stupid, gotta say. Yeah. Clearly a god or some sort of foreign entity, you know what I'm saying? Like some sort of spirit or a divine being, and he whispers and he looks scary. (laughs) And he's playing to your, like, darkest impulses. So, I'm, you know... Agreeing to do what he says, maybe you aren't the smartest guy. Yeah. It's like in other media where, like, the the guys, you know, who are adorned in skulls and, like, flames and symbols of hell and death and everything. It's like, yeah, you guys know that you're the bad guys, right? Like, you put skulls and flames and and death symbolism all over everything you got. Yeah, they know. So what do we think? Extremely evil... Fairly stupid or pretty stupid and maybe a little misunderstood. Maybe at one point. Yeah. I was just making the case that at one point he might have been led down this dark path, but then he he leaned in hard. All right. Well, then I think we can head to the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating after sharing an epic feature or moment from Viking Destiny. Chelsea, would you like to go first by sharing an epic moment or feature of the film and then giving it a rating between 1 in 10 decapitation head mace chains? (laughs) I, I think my epic moment is less epic and more just ridiculous because i i have to let people know that this happened so when loki appears 
to Hela when she's uh, in exile and she's starving. He says, come child, eat at my feet. And he's trying to portray the fact, he's trying to look like Odin and sound like Odin so that she'll trust him. And um, she does, she's so exhausted that she doesn't look up at his face. And she s looks down at his feet and there are mushrooms everywhere and they're clearly poison. <laughs> But she is so far gone. Bright red caps on these mushrooms. That she just grabs handfuls of them and starts shoving them towards her face. I was like, ha, huh, I'm going to eat these marshmallow mushrooms now. And I was just joking. But then as she was eating them, it was very clearly that they were prop marshmallows made to look like mushrooms. And I just felt vindicated. I was like, yeah. That was pretty great. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, so that was my moment there. I don't know if it's epic. It's epic. I think that's, it's, you know, what is epic is a matter of our own personal taste. And this epicness tastes like marshmallows. You know, if I could give the experience a rating, I would give this 10 out of 10. That's cheating. But for the movie itself, I'm going to give it 4 out of 10 decapitated head cage maces. <laughs> oh, that's the stuff right there. <laughs> For, uh, because, like, the first half was actually pretty good, and then, like, they brought in another writer halfway through production or something, and the rest of it is just completely bonkers. I hate to tell you, this movie was written completely by the director. <laughs> Maybe he was just, like, way too overworked or something, because it, it, he didn't know how to end it. <laughs> so that, that's my rating. All right, that's a, a fair rating. Jack, an epic moment or feature, and your rating. I guess one of my epic moments was when Hella was out kind of foraging with the guy that she liked from the traveling group. They're approached by two Viking warriors who stand menacingly waiting to be seen for some reason. And <laughs> when Hella sees them, her traveling, like, boyfriend is like, oh, guys, we don't want any trouble. And then Hella draws her sword because she she does want trouble. <laughs> and then she runs in and 2v1s the two bad guys doing a bunch of spins. And let me tell you, she's actually a pretty sick sword fighter. The, cho the fight choreography is very cool in this movie. She's like doing tons of parries and counters and stuff like that, kicks. People are just, like, punching and kicking each other whenever they get a chance, which I'm always a big fan of seeing someone with a sword, like, take the opportunity to punch someone, <laughs> just because it makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but when she's fighting these guys, she has one dude on the ground, and she's, like, spun a dude backwards, kicks him in the butt, <laughs> and she's about to, like, she has her sword held, you know, reverse grip, and is about to stab it through his back when the traveling guy like grabs her from behind and pulls her off while the two vikings run away i was like oh she's so lethal she could have gone for the kill right there she was gonna win yep yeah i just like seeing how cool like she was in combat pretty awesome uh i'm also gonna give this movie four spiky head cage chain mace flails <laughs> out of ten all right yeah it was a lot of fun but I think this guy was pretty leftist politically, and he was r halfway through writing this movie during 
an election he was not a fan of. He was like, all right, you know what? She meets a perfect democratic egalitarian society and everyone is in charge and they love each other. And so it felt kind of like he was venting a little bit or maybe wish fulfillment. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. It seems like he got distracted by his wish fulfillment instead of like focusing on a good narrative story. But yeah, four out of 10. What about you, Jamie? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So my epic moment is something that I like to call the sliding dick slice. <laughs> now let me explain. We've all we've all seen the shot in a film, in an action film, where the main character takes a running slot, gets a running start, drops down on their knees, slides across the ground, and does a thing. Whether it's attacking with their sword, firing guns, avoiding. Um, a thrown projectile, something. In this movie, Hela does that move in the forest. That's right. She slides distance across a dirt and leaf forest floor with her sword up in between the legs of the giant dude whose brother she had killed and chops him right down the crotch. And the agony of having his dick sliced off is so powerful <laughs> that the guy drops to the ground like I think we all would and that gives Hella the chance to then stab him in the back of the head. I call that an epic moment. <laughs> and you know what? I think great minds think alike. This movie is definitely four spiked decapitation head cage maces. Yeah. It's... The action sequences are fun. The fight choreography is, I would say, in the like upper echelon of the low budget. And I think that this movie was ambitious, but just could not follow through due to a lack of direction. But a fun experience, and I would like to echo Chelsea's 10 out of 10 for the experience. So with that out of the way, let's head to the bounty board. You're walking through a dark and misty forest late at night, unsure of each step before you, barely able to see in the gloom all around. Suddenly, you hear a thunk on a tree next to you. You look over to the tree and you see an arrow plunged into the bark with a note attached to it. The note says, Here's some fun things you can do while you shelter in place. Video chat with friends and family. You get a chance to see the faces of people you might not have been able to talk to under quarantine for a while, and you can have some fun conversations, watch movies at the same time, or even play games like D&D. I'm doing it. Nice. Nice. Try out some new skills. There are different online databases that are free to use. We're not sponsored by them, but I always tell people about edX. That's a edX.com. It's where you can learn different skills and about different fields for free online. You could start your own kingdom and have your cat be your first subject. Meow. And capture moths and whisper them instructions on notes to take back to their people. So your little insect messengers out into the night. Yes. Hey, why don't you start... A new skill, like work on baking or cooking or take up drawing. There's 
bound to be tons of how-to videos on YouTube. Check that out. Get your read on. I'm currently reading The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. I'm reading The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood and Alias Grace by Margaret Atwood. I'm reading Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. You could build a gum fortress, chew a bunch of gum, and then sculpt it into a little fortress. And then sculpt it into a little fortress. <laughs> you can make a pillow fortress and walk around with your blanket around your neck like you're a superhero. Why don't you try cosplaying as one of your favorite video game characters? Me? I'm currently cosplaying as Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins without his armor. Then on that note, I guess we'd better rewrite some history. Welcome to Rewriting History, the part of the podcast where we take the movie we just watched and come up with a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff. All right, guys, Viking Destiny, what do you got for me? I had an idea for a sequel. All right. See, they were leading up to that with Loki whispering in that woman's ear some bad thoughts about Queen Heleth, right? So I want a sequel where we get to see what happens between the two of them. That, that sounds good. For the first quarter of the movie, we see that this woman, the traveler woman, what should we call her just for ease? Uh, let's call her Helba. No. <laughs> How about a nice Viking name? How about Lena? Lena. Okay. So this traveler woman, Lena, she was getting all jealous of Hela after Loki was whispering in her ear. So she's trying to poison her husband against Hela by speaking ill of the queen and trying to get other people to turn against Hela. And eventually Hela gets wind of this, right? And she's a straightforward kind of person. She doesn't mince words. So she just She minces heads. So Hella just goes right to Lena and she confronts her about it. With a sword. And actually we find out that she had only been with Lena's husband one time before they got married. She she wasn't really into the whole Polly thing, uh, which was obvious from the first movie. So she she didn't want have to to have anything to do with that. It was a little too complicated for her, you know. Some people it's fine. They can make it work, but for Hella, no good. She tried it, didn't like it. So Lena, then she admits that she had had these thoughts and she wasn't sure where they were coming from, and it almost seemed like they came to her from a waking dream. And then after talking together, Hella kind of puts together that it might have been Loki whispering to Lena. And so she talks to Odin, right? And she tries to go to him for help. And he tells her, look, I cannot conspire with you against my brother. Loki, he's a mischievous guy. But what do he do? But we're blood brothers. I can't just screw him over. You got to find another way to get him off your back. Okay, I'm, I'm digging it so, so far. So he gives her a clue for some artifact that will help her lift her curse. And she and Lena set off on an adventure together to go find this artifact. Oh, nice. Turn that whole uh, subplot around in an unexpected way. I like it. Yeah. 
Their relationship isn't dependent on a man, and they can have they can have a friendship together. So the antagonist of this movie becomes Loki. Ooh, I like it. That's a powerful antagonist. Yeah. And he tries to turn other Vikings against them. And so the whole time they are going on their journey, they are being hunted by some of the other Vikings that he's instilled with these dark thoughts of killing these two women and their queen, even. What do you think? Yeah, that'd be so cool. And throughout the movie, there are a few scenes where they have to decipher whether or not the person they're talking to is actually Loki or not. Oh, nice. Like, if the words that they're hearing are being fed to them from an unseen entity. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And maybe at some point they're wrong about it, where they think someone is being talked to by Loki, but isn't. Ah, I like it. We get, we're adding a little bit of a psychological thriller angle to this. Mm-hmm. Nice. You know, I think it would be neat if they get to this place of power, which I always like the symbology of a cave. So There was a cave in this movie. Yep. So we're I going think, back to the cave. So I think it would be neat if they're led to a sacred pool in, in the cave. Mm. Uh, maybe, like, Hunan and Munin appear to uh, Hela and Lena. And they give them clues of where they need to go. Hunan and Munin, Odin's ravens. Yep. And um, they they report back to Odin as well. So that is their double function. I don't think Hela and Lena would... They kind of trust Odin. So they don't really think about the fact that the ravens, while they're giving them tips and pointing them on the right path, they're also reporting whatever the two women are doing back to Odin. So he knows everything that's going on. He's got his finger on the pulse. Yep. And so they are led to this cave and to this sacred pool. And um, if they drink the waters, it kind of cures them of their curse. But I think that a good message would be to learn that the power of friendship will help them overcome the odds against them, too. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to find a place for Lord Sona because I really like that character. I'm thinking maybe Hela can put him in charge of Volsung while she's gone. And, like, we kind of get to see him kind of handling, like, the day-to-day commerce. You know, obviously need to find a new blacksmith after the whole decapitation thing. Need to uh, build up public trust after the whole starvation thing. Basically just kind of undoing all the wrongs that Bard committed against the people of Volsung. And maybe he and Hela have come to... You You can have a short scene in the beginning before she takes off on the journey of them making plans for how they're going to provide for the people of Volsung. And so he's enacting them for her. I like it. And, you know, he kind of struck me as that kind of old, wise Viking character. And this role that he is fulfilling is like a classic steward. And maybe there's some extra stress on his shoulders because in the last movie, it was entirely their own military being killed as the casualties of war. Right. The travelers as well, but now they're a part of the society. So their military is considerably smaller than it was. And maybe threat of foreign invasion is something that stresses him out, whether or not it's an actual conflict in the film. But it could ironically be not for an invasion of another kingdom, but for an invasion of another 
plane of existence and deities you know what i'm saying Ooh, big brain yeah who would who would be coming against them well you know my man loki he's not just a god you know he's a jotun as well <laughs> right yeah a giant so and he's supposed to be the most attractive of them to be sure which i think is why he's short human size <laughs> <laughs> hey don't be so sizest Okay, I say human size is pretty good. I think that's a great idea. You could have Jotuns coming in to siege the the city. They did have a like it was like a fort with a wall, so they could reinforce the wall. They might have some kind of warning of the Jotuns coming. Yeah, I think the Jotuns would just stomp on their piddly little wall. So then you could have a siege and then maybe Odin sees what Loki's done. And he sends his ravens to Freya and asks for her help. And she sends some Valkyries down to help Hela and Lena break the siege. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. May as well lean into the whole mythological angle. Yeah, I mean, we, we've established that this is a world where the gods are a quite real entity. So that means we've got the whole nine worlds to play with. There's so much we can do. We can have elves and dwarves, too. You know, the Norse ones, not the Lord of the Rings ones. You know, oh, oh, and maybe that's like, um, maybe Lord Sone is able to, like, travel uh, to one of the other worlds and gets, like, a dwarven blacksmith to replace the blacksmith that they lost in uh, Volsung. Oh, that's good. Because he's like, I know who the best blacksmiths are, and we really need somebody to help us restock after that whole ugly business with Bard and the former blacksmith. We need someone that no one's ever going to fuck with. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a magical artifact, and who's better at crafting those than the dwarves? Oh, classic. Nice. All right, I think we've got a nice foundation laid out here. I'm ready to uh, sign off on Viking Destiny 2, even more destiny. <laughs> the pool of greatness. <laughs> Viking Destiny 2, Destiny's Fate. <laughs> I love it. That's good. Let's move on to the side quest. Welcome to the side quest, where we talk about another piece of fantasy media that we think you should check out after you watch Viking Destiny. So guys, I think that we all agree that this movie just kind of reminded us of another thing that we recently all played together Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. In the game, you play as a young warrior woman named Senua, whose tribe has been wiped out by a Viking warband that came to her Celtic lands to raid their people. And Senua, besides being an incredibly proficient warrior, also suffers from schizophrenia, which is, in some cultures, um, mental illness like that, what we view as mental illness in the West, is sometimes seen as uh, prophetic or um, like somebody has been gifted with like special knowledge or insight into the spiritual world. So besides being a warrior, Senua is also something of a spiritual entity within her people. And the game was actually developed along with mental health professionals and people who had auditory hallucinations. And throughout the game, you're hearing these voices in your character's head. If you are, if you play the game with headphones, it really creates a kind of 360-degree experience 
where you're hearing Senua's voices talking to her and kind of giving mixed messages and they guide you and help you throughout the game and give you advice and stuff. Um, it can be very disconcerting, but it is also incredibly interesting and apparently portrayed with a great deal of sensitivity and a lot of thought put into it. It's not the usual portrayal of mental illness that we might be more familiar with in a lot of media. This one like, is very empowering for the main character who is suffering from these auditory hallucinations. It's true. The auditory hallucination part of Hellblade is an incredibly immersive feature of the game, which does a really good job of making you kind of feel what the main character is going through when the gameplay transitions into a cutscene almost flawlessly, and you really get clo these close-up shots on the main character's face, and you're seeing the things that she's seeing, and you're really getting to experience the world through this character i think more efficiently than most other games i've played the immersion is just great yeah it's really a gorgeous game i mean you know there's a lot of discussion about you know games as art that go around and i think that if any game i've ever played pushes the boundaries of like what we could say is video games becoming a true art form and i would i would agree i i I would argue, even prior to playing this game, that games are their own art. I, I don't have any um, doubt about that. But I think that this game really pushes the limits in a new way that would be pretty compelling, even for somebody who might doubt that designation. I think that this game would probably change some minds of yeah. people who are skeptical about the power of games and narrative to tell stories and everything. Yeah, I agree. So... Check it out. Hellblade. Senua's Sacrifice. The second one's going to be coming out sometime soon. So you better play the first one now and avoid all those spoilers. Well, that just about does it for us here at the old Swords and Satire Castle. We'd like to thank you all for tuning in. We hope that you're doing your part by maintaining social distance, only going out when you absolutely need to to get your essentials and supplies and not contributing to the spread of COVID-19. While you're staying home, why not follow us on social media? At Swords and Satire on Instagram and Twitter, or join the Swords and Satire Facebook group so you can keep up with the movies we watch every week and find out what the new episode's going to be. You can also email us at swordsandsatire at gmail.com to ask us any questions about the movies that we've watched uh let us know what your favorite fantasy movies are or ask us something about ourselves well on that note until next time hail, hail crom, crom.